You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Uh, What a great weekend. Come on in. Final hour of the program. Carson Palmer will join us. Former Bengals quarterback, Raiders quarterback, Arizona quarterback. And uh, more of your phone calls, best and worst of the weekend. We heard from Seton. He's on the road with the French kid. They made it through New York City. And their uh, first stop will be Cincinnati later today or tonight. 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address, dp at danpatrick.com. Twitter handle at show. Don't miss every medal, every moment of the Winter Olympics beginning February 3rd on NBC and Peacock. Going to be a busy time for NBC. and Got the Super Bowl, got the Winter Olympics, and you can see... All of that unfold on Peacock and also NBC. Both the Bengals and Rams overcame double-digit deficits to win conference championship games. And I was curious if that had happened before. First time both conference champions rallied from down at least 10 points to win since 1998. That's when the Broncos overcame a uh, 10-point deficit to beat the Jets. The Falcons erased a 13-point deficit to beat the Vikings. That was back in 1998. I think that's too soon, Marvin, <laughs> because she's a Kansas City Chiefs fan, Melissa Etheridge. Uh, we got uh, Fritzy's best and worst of the weekend. Paulie, your best and worst of the weekend. Uh, I'm going to go so Bengals safety Jeremy Bates on that long throw. Now, Eli Apple from the Bengals almost has a pick six to end the game in overtime. He doesn't get it. And it felt like they would go on a run there, the, the Chiefs. That long pass to uh, Tyreek Hill. Jesse Bates, the safety, unbelievable play to tip it out and get the interception with Von Bell. Mm-hmm. The other best of the weekend, I would say, is the CBS halftime show where they're getting ready to break down halftime, oh. JB and the guys, and they throw to uh, Walker Hayes, is that his name, the uh, country singer? Walker Hayes? Something like that. Yeah, he was doing a big uh, set at halftime, and here's how it sounded. As we welcome Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter Walker Hayes. He's got time filled, and he's burning them. The question is, and the answer is time. That's what Patrick Mahomes... <laughs> They are nickel and diamond their way down the field. Be selective when you take your big shots. But right now, if you can move the ball with passes 5 to 10 yards, that's when you win. Yeah, I don't know if you guys said this yet or not, but they got to get Jamar Chase down the middle of the field. My daughter, Katrina, told me to work on sign language with you guys. Because I have no clue. It's a party here in KC, baby. Party in KC. All right. All right. That was painful. Uh, that was painful. <laughs> I don't know if there was rehearsal, but did anybody see where the speakers were? They're, they're like 20 feet high. Yeah, I, I just, um, first of all, I always hated being on location when you have to deal with the crowd, the weather, noise, where you don't get to control the atmosphere. And you're trying to yell. The other person can't hear you. And that went on for about five minutes. I mean, I, I, I felt for those guys. But, man, you gotta, you got to be prepared for that. That, okay, you got a musical act. 
How loud is it? What time does he come on? We have to know this. It's down to the second. Yes, Todd. Yeah, shouldn't there be some kind of communication between the musicians and the broadcasters? They're paying millions and millions of dollars to broadcast this championship game, and how could that ever be allowed to happen if they just fudged it a few minutes earlier or later, then they're not on top of each other? It sounded like an intern was trying to mix audio between the halftime show and the uh, concert. It felt like they even turned it up louder, and you didn't need to. But those guys are trying to yell over each other and... And it's even though you have what's known as a IFB, it's an earpiece, and that allows you. Now, I would sometimes on location when I did the Super Bowl, I'd wear two. I'd wear one in each ear, so it 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 would drown out all the sound. So I'd be able to hear you through your microphone, but that didn't mean that the ambient sound was not going to override what you were saying. And it can be really disconcerting when you don't know if the other person can hear you. It's so loud in there, and you put in those. Uh, earpieces it takes out all that sound but you're still yelling and it didn't matter how loud they were yelling that uh that music was up to 10 it was like metallica yes Paul. and the cbs talent is used to being in the studio they're not used to having to deal with that like kirk herbstreet and chris fowler and those guys and reese davis now on college game day they're used to four thousand five thousand people over their shoulder and they know how to mix that sound the right way and hear each other the right way it's like they were blindsided and there's nothing you could do. You know, you, like, they should have had closed caption or something. But, you know, after a while, you're just like, it doesn't matter what we say. And Nate Burleson was just laughing. You know, it's like, all right, this is what it is. But that on location weather, I remember we were in Denver for the season opener after the Broncos won the Super Bowl. Well, they're, they're worried about lightning in the area. And you're out there and raining and then they're going to give you an umbrella. And I go, I don't think I need to be holding an umbrella if there's lightning out here. <laughs> like, like, here, why don't you hold this uh, aluminum pole? Here, why don't, you, why don't you hold a golf club? Here's a one iron. Why don't you hold that? Good luck with that. I'm going, I don't think we need to be holding umbrellas. Yeah, Paul. If I was one of the CVS guys like Nate Burleson, I would say after the game, remember at halftime when I called Joe Burrow and the comeback in <laughs> overtime and they're going to win it? You guys remember, I, I said it. You just yeah, didn't hear me. Yeah, you couldn't hear me. <laughs> couldn't hear me. Is America rooting for the Bengals? I'm curious. You might root for Stafford. I think the Bengals are going to be America's team in the Super Bowl. Uh, they're right now three and a half point underdogs, but it, it feels like this is a cute story. It's a good story, interesting story. You're, you're starting to see maybe the emergence of something really special. Certainly with that quarterback and the wide receiver. Yes, yes, Todd. Based on the sea of red that we're rooting against the Rams at SoFi, I know. it seems like there's a very good chance there could be a lot of Bengal fans uh, showing up and pulling for their team. Uh, we'll, thank you, Todd. We'll get to uh, phone calls coming up. After uh, over 20 seasons, seven Super Bowls, three MVPs, Tom Brady is, I guess, calling it a career. Or some members of the media are calling it a career for Tom. Uh, reports are that he's going to retire. But I think Tom is just going to wait for the right moment. There is no way that Tom Brady was going to announce a retirement on Saturday of the weekend of the conference championship games. Not going to happen. And that's from, you know, somebody who's friends with him. Because I said, is this officially official? And... uh you know, the NFL, 
would love to be able to roll this out. They don't want to have something that's sort of overriding these conference title games. This is something where maybe this Wednesday Tom could announce it or during the Super Bowl week or maybe after the Super Bowl. But do I think he's retiring? I do. Pro Football Focus said that Brady was the best quarterback in the league and should be the MVP. He threw for 43 touchdowns. He threw for over 5,000 yards. It's really hard to walk away when you're that good. But to me, I would look at it the other way around. I'm going out, and I worry about this with this job, that I, you don't want to be the guy where you're going, man, he's still doing it. You, you want to be relevant. We're still interviewing people. We're breaking stories. Like, I, I would want to leave you wanting more from this show when, when we stop doing it. I don't want to be limping towards the finish line. And I'm not equating my career to Tom Brady, but I'm just talking about the thought of when do you retire? And I have said, you know, when it's not fun. But, you know, this, the man cave is close to my house. I get to see my, my wife every single day, dinner every day, no second shift, sports center, uh, get to see my kids. You know, Tom is probably looking at this and, you know, it starts to hit you. Um, there are things that you'll never make up. You, you know, there's things that I missed and you beat yourself up over this. And Tom has missed out on things. And at some point, your wife reminds you of this. And Tom had control there in Tampa, uh, you know, his schedule. Uh, his oldest son was a ball boy. His oldest son is going into high school. But you want to be able to control as much as you can. And I've been able to do that. That's why I still love doing this every single day. I think Tom, his kids are younger, but, you know, it's going to hit you. And maybe it has. And maybe he just says, I get to walk out. My last drive resulted in a touchdown. And we, we were going to be going to the conference championship game. I gave the Rams a hell of a scare. We were down 27 to 3. If we went into overtime, we're winning. And I think there's something you could take away from that if you're Tom. And you just say, you know what? I don't have anything else to play for. I'm the GOAT. There's no question about that. I don't have anything else to play for. Now is when you stop being selfish. And that's hard. Because you get kind of ingrained in your head that I got to go do this. You know, I got to work these hours. And then you, now he's, now he's got to be unselfish. And maybe that's what's you know, kind of factoring in here. But it felt like Giselle wanted him to retire. I mean, he won four Super Bowls after age 37. Who does that? And, and to, the rules are in place where he doesn't take a beating. And he almost threw the same number of touchdowns as age. He had 43 at age 44. But if he walks away like this, great. If you can walk away, literally walk away, good for him. But if he wants to come back, we benefit. It's great. You know, without him, 22 years without having him in the NFL will be really strange. And if he, he, he found that clarity, good for him. Because a lot of guys don't. They hold on. Hold on. And they're the last guy to know that they should retire. Yeah, Paul. He threw 163 touchdowns after the age of 40. 
after the age of 40. There's Hall of Famers who don't have 163 career touchdowns. After 40, he had 163. I think he's had two Hall of Fame careers. Maybe bordering on three Hall of Fame careers. Although he did have that stretch where he didn't go to a Super Bowl. Uh, I don't know how many years that was. Yeah, that was like nine seasons. Yeah. I, I think he had two Hall of Fame careers. But uh, if, if he found that clarity and, and you can just say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to retire. Yeah, Paul. The other thing, some people on social media were saying, oh, he said he was going to play until he was 45. And he didn't. He's, if, he does, if he retires, he won't. But he could say like, yeah, but I could have. And you can't say I couldn't. It's not like he had 12 touchdowns this year. He had 43. I know. So if anyone says, yeah, you didn't play your 45. Yeah, by choice. I could have easily. Robert in Cincinnati joins us. Hey, Robert, what's on your mind? Best and worst of the weekend. Hey, Dan. First time, long time, 6'2", and a skyline stuffed, 175. Uh, best and worst of the weekend, obviously best. Cincinnati uh, Bengals making it to the Super Bowl. No worst. And I just have a question for you, Dan. I know last week uh, you made the point a few times that when you came to the national media, you gave up any type of fandom. And I just wanted to point out Tony Kornheiser, well-known Washington sports fan, Michael Wilbon, well-known Chicago sports fan, three sports Emmys for PTI. So my question for you is, are you holding the show back by not jumping on the Bengals bandwagon (laughs) right now? Uh, thanks for the phone call, Robert. I was nervous yesterday. I, I was nervous for Cincinnati. The, the, my family, uh, fans of that, uh, the Bengals team. I just didn't, it was 21-3 I stopped watching. I just had to do something around the house. And my wife goes, why are you, why are you uh, cleaning out whatever I was doing? And I said, uh, it's 21-3, I, I can't watch it. She goes, aren't you supposed to? I go, yeah, but I, I just, I don't want him embarrassed. And then I would check my phone. I go, oh, okay, all right. Oh, okay. Uh, um, I'm going to go downstairs and watch, you know. And then she goes, oh, are they doing well? I go, yeah. And she goes, well, maybe you shouldn't go down and watch. And I go, oh, that's right. So I said, all right, I might jinx them, but I went down. But no, I, I, my entire family, except for my sister, who lives in Missouri, Everybody was on, you know, talking to each other on social media. Yeah, Paul. But th- was there a point like when Mahomes got the ball to start overtime? You had that little sickness in your stomach. No, just a little. No. I know it's not maybe not for you, but for the for the Bengals people. Oh, I'm sure they did. Yeah, I think that's your fandom coming back. But it's like transference. You're 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 tense and nervous for the Bengals fan base. Yeah, I but I wasn't. Yeah, when he got the ball in overtime, I'm like, if he if he scores a touchdown, and the Bengals. Let the Chiefs know we were here, my Bengals. <laughs> then, then I, I. That's all I wanted. Dan, you could be in the parade. No. Who, who are the famous Bengals fans? Probably like George Clooney. He's probably a Bengals fan. Yeah. Right? Rob Lowe. I think he's a Bengals guy. Well, he's a he's a football fan. He's a national football. Isn't Charlie Sheen from the area? Charlie Sheen, Rob Lowe. That's some heavy hitters. On I there. don't know if they're true Bengal fans. I think Clooney is. Yeah, George probably is. Now, there's a couple of uh, big names there, I think. But, no, I, I just didn't want him embarrassed because, I, you know, I, the last thing you want to hear is, oh, when you would say you're from Cincinnati, all oh, the bungles, that would be the first thing people would say to me. Be like, where are you from? I go, well, well I'm, you know, Mason, Ohio. Where's that? Right outside of Cincinnati. All oh, the bungles. I go, yeah. 
and Bungles. Although we did go to two Super Bowls and we lost to Joe Montana both times in close games. Yeah, Paul. I got other celebrity Bengals fans. I got Carmen Electra. Well, she's from, she went to Princeton High School. Okay. Herb Street, obviously, right? Herbie uh, went to Centerville. You're listed. Yeah, you, hell yeah. I got you listed. The, um, yeah. Woody Harrelson? Woodrow is from Lebanon, which is about eight miles from Mesa. Okay. So he's, he grew up about eight miles from me. That's a, that's a pretty good parade float. If you told me that that's one of the floats, yeah. I would hang out. Yeah, there. I'm going to go up there with uh, Carmen Electra. <laughs> her last name, her name was Tamara Patrick, I think. Distant relation? I don't know. <laughs> I, I checked the family tree to see if I'm related to Carmen. Uh, I don't think so. But I think her last name's Patrick. I don't know what her first name is. It's not Carmen, by the way. And her last name's not Electra. All right, let me take a break. Carson Palmer, is, was he rooting for the Bengals yesterday? I don't know. Things, things didn't end well. Well, maybe they're better between Carson and the Bengals. But uh, we'll talk to Carson coming up. We're back after this. More phone calls as well. Dan Patrick Show. Got a chance to see the Sprinter van, folks. If you haven't entered, do. It's free to enter. Get official rules, chance to win the Mercedes-Benz Sprinter van that's on the road as we speak. Mercedes-Benz Sprinter Mode 4x4 by Storyteller Overland. Bells and whistles, got it all. We got close to, well, over 175,000 people have entered and uh, got to see this van up close and personal. Gorgeous. You uh, can tour the country with this, as Seton and the French Kid are doing. Go to danpatrick.com or foxsportsradio.com to enter. Get official rules for a chance to win the amazing Mercedes-Benz Sprinter event. So danpatrick.com or foxsportsradio.com. You have until February 2nd to do so. They got a lot of, uh, well, you expect great things from Mercedes. Uh, Five-star dealer network, available gas engine, although this one has a diesel engine. Uh, Some equipment described is optional, but go to danpatrick.com. Your dream is waiting. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. The Bengals' Evan McPherson has converted all 12 of his field goal attempts this postseason. The only kicker with more made field goals in a single postseason is Adam Vinatieri. He was 14 for 15 for the Colts back in the 2006 playoffs. Every day, stat of the day, that stat of the day, stat of the day. Here comes that what stat of the day. Former Raider quarterback, Cardinal quarterback, Bengal quarterback, Carson Palmer joining us on the program. Who were you rooting for between Kansas City and the Cincinnati Bengals, Carson? Uh, I was rooting for the Bengals. I, uh, no, no fan base deserves this Super Bowl berth more than the Cincy Bengals. What were you thinking when it was 21 to three? I thought there was a shot. Um, things just, things really just obviously went sideways for Kansas City. They went from on offense, Patrick Mahomes took over the first half by just really taking what the defense was giving him. And then in the second half, he was, it was weird. He, he threw that one touchdown to Tyreek Hill in the back of the end zone, in the red zone, where he was kind of running around and moving in the pocket and then rolled out to the right. And he loves those kinds of plays, you can tell. And he kept looking for that in the second half. And what got them 
to that big lead in the first half was just taking what the defense was giving him. And he absolutely stopped doing that. He started dropping back in the second half, moving in the pocket, spinning out, rolling left, rolling right. And it just wasn't working because the Bengals defense just sat back and cover two and cover four and played zone and watched everything underneath them and didn't give them any of those big shots down the field. I just don't know why they didn't run the ball. If you're going against a three-man front, you can get to that second level, and if you set up screen passes, whatever it was, it just felt like maybe ego got the better of them, but it felt like they were trying to do something great instead of just being methodical. Well, and, and that's what got them there. McKinnon was unbelievable the last three weeks. I mean, that, he has been so difficult to tackle. He's been so dynamic in the screen game, but really running the ball downhill with the absence of Edwards Hilaire with the ankle injury, McKinnon came in and was unbelievable. Nobody was tackling him in the first tackle. He was breaking tackles. He was explosive. And then they just stopped giving him the ball, unfortunately. But would you rather face, you know, pressure or eight guys in the secondary in a three-man rush as a quarterback? Pressure all day. I think every quarterback is more comfortable when you know you've got one-on-ones outside. It gets really difficult when they do those three-man pre- those three-man blitzes with the three defensive linemen. Now you've got eight guys dropping in coverage, more often not covering three and sometimes four guys. So uh, pressure is always a quarterback. Quarterbacks are always looking for pressure. Joe Burrow does such a good job of diagnosing it, and that's why they're where they are. They are not beating people because their offensive line is better. They are not dominating the line of scrimmage. Joe is abs- absolutely dominating the line of scrimmage. He's redirecting pressures. He, he had him in a situation uh, last night where they were bringing a will-free safety blitz, a blitz that could not be picked up. He redirected the offensive line in Arrowhead Stadium, which, mm. believe me, is not easy to do. And he is winning. He, he is beating teams himself at the line of scrimmage. And I know there's a lot of guys around him, and I'm not saying it's all on him, but he is absolutely taking that team and put them on his shoulders and got them to the Super Bowl. This doesn't happen to a second-year quarterback. You just don't see this. I mean, you see second-year quarterbacks. You think back when, when I was a young QB in the league and Ben Roethlisberger came on the scene and won a ton of games you know, as, as, as a rookie. But they won those games because that was the number one defense in the league. He had Jerome Bettis. He had Antoine randall He had Plaxico Burris. And you can go on and on. Two Hall of Famers at, at offensive line. Joe's not doing that with the same supporting cast. He is doing it like a 12, 13, 14-year vet in year two. I mentioned this, you know, being from the Cincinnati area, I just didn't want the Bengals to be embarrassed because everybody would say, oh, you're from Cincinnati, all oh, the bungles. And you you know this because you played there, but when it was 21-3, that's, if you would have said, hey, they're going to lose in dramatic fashion, heartbreaking fashion, and I, I would have I signed up for that. I just didn't want them embarrassed because this has been a really great story. And they found their guy, and they got their wide receiver, and you got a young coach, and you got a, a good running back. Uh, defense, to me, won that game with you know what they did to Patrick Mahomes. So uh, it's it, they might be the team people are rooting for in the Super Bowl. If you don't have a you know a, if you're not based with the Rams, you're probably rooting for the Bengals. Yeah, who doesn't love the underdog? Who who doesn't want? the second-year quarterback, the hometown kid from Ohio to win a Super Bowl for the Bengals. I mean, they're going to be the ones that everybody follows. L.A.'s, you know, they transfer, you know, moving from St. Louis into L.A. Um, there's some fans that are split in L.A. with the Chargers and the old Raiders back in the day when the Raiders were in L.A. 
all of Ohio uh, outside northeastern Ohio <laughs> where, where Cleveland is is behind the Bengals. And I think the Midwest is too. Even um, there, there was even a bunch of fans in Kansas City at Arrowhead. It was great to see the following. Uh, I can't wait to be in L.A. next week and, and see all the Bengals fans there celebrating and enjoying the week. We're talking to Carson Palmer joining us on behalf of our good friends at LevelSelectCBD.com. How would you assess the quarterbacking play in the NFC title game? Well, I think everybody understands why the Rams got Matthew Stafford. But everybody really quickly forgets how well Jared Goff played in 2018 in the NFC Championship in New Orleans and beat the Drew Brees Saints when they were rocking and rolling and great on defense. Now Stafford has to prove that he's worth his weight uh, for those two first-round picks and I think a second or third in there too by winning the Super Bowl. I mean, this, this is such a big game for Matt. This is a, a career-making game. Again, I mean, p- people, people dumped on Goff really quickly. Um, but Goff had a lot of success up until that Super Bowl game. Goff played phenomenally in that NFC Championship in New Orleans and got that team there. The same thing Stafford just did by getting the, uh, the Rams into his first Super Bowl in L.A. If he can win this Super Bowl, he proves everybody right in the building for the Rams from Snead down to McVay uh, to the owner, Stan Kroenke, that this was the right decision to be made. On the other end of things in in San Francisco, um, we got exactly what we probably all assumed was going to happen. You know, the game was put on the line. When when you have that ball in your hands and you have a chance to win at the end of the game and you're Jimmy Garoppolo in that situation, you no longer have the advantage you had most of the game, which was Kyle Shanahan calling the plays. The scripted plays, the the plays that Kyle can call in from a headset. You get in a two-minute situation like that, it's on you as a quarterback. And I think we all saw what we've what we expected to see. We saw it a couple of years ago, where Jimmy just didn't get it done, and that's probably why we're going to see him in a different uniform next year and, and see Trey Lance being the starting quarterback of the Niners next year. I just didn't understand it. If if I'm the Niners, I know the Rams want the game in the ball in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands at the end of the game. That's what they're kind of preparing for. Why not run the ball more? Why not? I I just, I just didn't understand that the Chiefs not doing it. And the Niners, the Rams run the football. I mean, they, that big offensive line, I, I just thought, I got to take the ball out of his hands. I, I can't have the game on the line with him trying to win it for me. Yeah, I mean, we all wanted to see that. At the end of the day, you got two offensive-minded head coaches that are both calling those plays. Mm-hmm. And offensive-minded head coaches got there by throwing it. They didn't get there by running it. That's just a natural, we got to get a big chunk. We can't run it for eight. We need to throw it for 25 and another 20 and another 20. And no doubt, I mean, it's, it is, uh, it's an ego thing. Um, I'm sure the Monday morning quarterback and, and all those coaches is going back and going, man, I should have run it on first and 10 here. I should have run it on second and long here. But, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you're right. The ball was in Jimmy's hands, and that's not the situation you want to be in if you're the 49ers. That team got there by defense and running the football. And when it came down to get into the Super Bowl, they had to throw it, and that is not their forte. I know, but I go back to the Super Bowl, Carson, when they should have run the ball. They could have – I, I just don't understand that mindset. You know, even when, you know, Shanahan was with the Falcons, they th- were throwing the ball. They didn't need to throw the ball. You were in field goal range. Like, these are, these are costly, costly moments for Shanahan. You know, he's blown double-digit leads in a Super Bowl as a, you know, offensive coordinator, as a head coach uh, with last night. Um, you know, that's inexcusable for a guy who's that, that, that sharp. 
And, and you assume that you learn from your past mistakes yeah. and move forward. And unfortunately, like, like I said, I mean, you, you got Andy Reid, one of the greatest offensive play callers, pass game innovators. Kyle Shanahan, one of the greatest young offensive coordinators, and he's great in the run game and he's great in the pass game. And you naturally, as a, as a coach that's calling plays, you naturally feel like we need more yards than we can get in the run game. It's just not easy to do when you're in that position, obviously. Man. And I couldn't help but watch when Odell Beckham had, whatever, nine catches, eight catches last night. Why didn't somebody else swoop in, like uh, Green Bay? Uh, like, what, what am I missing with Odell Beckham? Even the Browns, I know there's ego involved in this, but it just you can't help but watch that and go, even though he's had surgeries and he's stepped slower or quicker, man, it, he's still a game-breaker. He's an impactful player. It's outside noise. It's outside noise. It's that media labeling him as a prima donna, not a team guy. Uh, all the headlines we, you know, when, when times were bad for Odell, Be- Odell Beckham, you heard, you know, all he cares about is his catches. He doesn't want to win. All these teams, except for the Rams, listened to the outside noise. The Rams said, you know what? We need to get him in the building. We've got vets. We've got Aaron Donald, one of the best players on defense. We've got a young Sean McVay that any receiver would love to listen to. A vet quarterback in Stafford, Andrew Whitworth at left tackle, who's like 60. They have so much <laughs> leadership. They have so much, so many veterans in the room. They said, even if he is, even if all these articles are right, and he's a prima donna, and he cares about himself and doesn't care about the team, we've got enough guys to bring him together. Maybe it is that. Or maybe all these articles are wrong about OBJ, and he just wants to win. But the Rams figured it out. Would you rather have Joe Burrow or Matthew Stafford for this one game? Joe Burrow. Would you rather have Cooper Cup or Jamar Chase for this one game? I'd rather have Cooper Cup because he's been there before. It's still amazing to watch. Like, I'm still amazed these defenses somehow forget that Cooper <laughs> Cup won the triple crown of wide receivers. Why is that? Well, it's funny, too, because you watched that first game in, in the Cincy, uh, the game in Arrowhead with the Chiefs. Jamar, the, the time, they played just like a month or, uh, you know, six weeks before that in Cincy, and obviously the Bengals won. Jamar went for a quarter thousand yards. And <laughs> this, I mean, think about that. He went for 266 yards in one game. They figured out they needed to shut him down, but every, it was amazing. And what was so mature about Joe Burrow's play is every time they didn't double him, which was very rarely – and he was one-on-one, Joe got on the ball. Yeah. There was very few instances where Jamar was one-on-one and Joe figured it out, diagnosed the defense, found his one-on-one and his best player and gave them the ball. And, you know, he didn't have 266 yards, but he still greatly affected that game. And they did a ton of stuff. I mean, Zach's scheme with him in the backfield and motioning in and out of different spots, he was so difficult to figure out where Jamar was going to land and end up. But the Chiefs did a really good job of finding out where that was going to be and doubled him. But the very few times where he was not doubled, he got the ball in his hands and Joe figured it out. But I mentioned Cooper Cup. I mean, it felt like the Niners forgot that he is was an MVP candidate and, and you know, did all of these things the regular season. Yeah, and, and again, you, I can point the finger, and, and it's great. It was great by Stafford. It was great by Cup. But that's a Sean McVay, Kevin O'Connell finding a way he, he was all over the place. Cooper Cup was on the outside. He was on the inside. He was motioning. He was shifting. You don't – when when you have a guy that's as smart as some of these receivers we're seeing in Jamar and Cooper Cup, they don't just have to line up at X on the left-hand side of the field anymore. They are so smart. They can motion them. They can shift them. 
They can put him inside. They can put him on a three-by-one side. You just don't know where he's going to be. And it, as easy as to say is don't let Cooper Cup get the ball. He's all <laughs> over the place. You don't know where he's going to line up. It's so difficult to do. And, and again, Stafford, a, a lot like Joe Burrow, when he was in those situations, when he was one-on-one, he got him the ball. Are you going to be in L.A. next week? I will. I'll see you next week. Maybe we could go to USC and walk around and uh, make, throw the fight on, just <laughs> walk around campus. Well, maybe we could uh, you know, throw the football around or something like that. Let's do it. Would you dress like a Trojan? Like a Trojan? I've got a Trojan uh, Halloween outfit. Can I bring that for you? Yes. All right. I'll throw you. We'll go to the Coliseum. We'll throw some routes. <laughs> we, could, we could dress like a pack of Trojans. How's that? No, I don't want to dress up. Just you. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you in LA next week. Sounds great. Thank Thanks, you, buddy. Man. That's Carson Palmer. His weekly appearance during the NFL season brought to you by our partner, Level Select CBD. Looking for next level relief? Visit levelselectcbd.com. I don't think he got the joke. A pack of condoms. Or Trojans, my bad. <laughs> now he should now get it. Now he's got the joke. Yeah, Paul. <laughs> this uh, local high school, South Side of Chicago, was, uh, my, I went to Marion Catholic, but the local school, public school was Bloom High School, and they were the Bloom Trojans. And every once in a while, the PA announcer goes, you know, tackled by a host of Trojans. And he'd go, like, every once in a while, he'd go, tackled by a pack of Trojans. And all of us little 15-year-olds would be giggling, giggling in the stands. He's going to get in trouble. Giggle, giggle, giggle. <laughs> Last call for phone calls. What we learn, what's in store tomorrow. We're back after this in the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Hey, this is Jason McIntyre. Join me every weekday morning on my podcast, Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. This isn't your typical sports pod pushing the same tired narratives down your throat every day. Straight Fire gives you honest opinions on all the biggest sports headlines, accurate stats to help you win big at the sports book, and all the best guests. Do yourself a favor and listen to Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Join host Ed Helms and Randall Park as they hear extraordinary stories from everyday people and bring them to life with a star-studded cast for epic reenactments. Don't miss the Peacock Original True Story streaming now. Go to PeacockTV.com to sign up. The uh, Joe Ohio t-shirt, still available on the website. Go to DanPatrick.com. Other great t-shirts there as well. Fritzy wearing his uh, What's Up Mahomes sweatshirt I sure today. am. How come? I don't know. Was that a shot a little bit? I don't know. Maybe being a Bronco fan, it just seemed like a opportunity. Oh, to, uh, we've okay. seen enough of the Chiefs for a while. They've beaten us 13 times in a row. Is that a shot? A at, little bit. At the, okay. It wasn't randomly chosen. Oh, okay. That's being honest. Okay. No, I appreciate that. He's got his ring and everything, and he beats the crap out of my Broncos the last six and a half years. It's the Bengals time. All right. I like when you're petty. I had to get a little petty there. Oh, that's fine. Barry in Long Island. Barry, thanks for holding. Best and worst of the weekend. Good morning, fellas. Good morning, chat row. The uh, best and worst of the weekend were actually the same thing. As, as uh, Paulie said, it was the uh, CBS halftime show. Uh, the best because it was funny as hell. And uh, it was the worst just because it was not one of the great moments in broadcasting. I was a communications major in college. And my intro to TV production final project wasn't as big as a disaster. <laughs> Have a good day, fellas. Thank you, Barry. 
Yeah, I felt for the guys, but once that music came on, then they were done. Because, you know, they brought in a country singer to sing, and they're not going to go, hey, can you keep it down? It's loud. And you... You're trying to talk to each other, and you don't know if the person can hear you. I've been right next to Tony Dungy, and I'm yelling when we're on location. And at times, you know, it's fine. Then other times you're like, they have to watch your mouth move. Because Rodney would always be one person removed. He would be down the, the row, and Rodney would actually try to read my lips when I was saying something there. Because it would get so loud that even in your earpiece you still can't hear. And that, I don't know what they did as far as uh, rehearsal, but I certainly would want to know, you know, what it's like. When, when I would hand out the Super Bowl trophy, I had to come in on a Friday. So I, would, I did the radio show, then I would come in Friday to the stadium, and then they would go through everything. And they would make the announcement, uh, but the, the one thing that they couldn't recreate was crowd noise. They couldn't simulate that. And that's the difference, because once it happens, okay, I know the commissioner is going to be here. Trophy's coming up here. I'm going to interview owner, coach, uh, star player, quarterback, MVP, and then you say goodbye. But that sound that you hear, when they bring out that trophy, and that's when the fans just go crazy, that noise you can't replicate. And the first time I did it, I just remember when Joe Namath was bringing the trophy up to the podium and you're like, whoa, this is loud. And you got to Now I don't know if Roger Cadell can hear me, you know, because it was just uh, ladies and gentlemen, the commissioner of the National Football League, Roger Goodell. And then I just hope that, you know, he can hear me, grabs the microphone, does what he does, and then I grab it back. And even the people you're interviewing, you know, you're hoping that the crowd will allow you to talk to Robert Kraft or Tom Brady. Yeah, Paul. So I went back and did a deep dive on this. CBS Sports, they have their little set at, at the probably about the 45-yard line. And, you know, there's uh, Phil Sims and JB and the whole crew, and they're getting ready for the halftime, little, the, the segment they're going to do. All of a sudden, in the background, Walker Hayes' production set rolls in the speakers. The speakers were not placed there. So when they get ready to start, there's, there's no speakers in place. All of a sudden, it look, it's like a John Deere tractor and two walls of speakers, probably about 10 feet high, and they roll them in back. It's like a, a scene from Jackass. It's like they're being punked. And they roll them about 40 feet behind Nate Burleson's head, and they plant them, and then you could see some guy give a thumbs up to the Walker Hayes people say, we're ready to go. And then you know, all hell broke loose. You could just see the speakers. They weren't there 45 seconds before CBS went on air with their halftime show. Oh, my God. It's a wild scene. Uh, <laughs> Look it up. It's fun. Terry in New York. Hi, Terry. Thanks for holding. What do you have for me today? Hey, Dan. How are you doing? Good, sir. Good. What I wanted to say, I know a little, we've been talking a little bit about Cincinnati's defense, man, but over the past three weekends, in three NFL uh, postseason games, man, these guys have only allowed 19 points in the second half in three games combined. Yeah, that's my that's my best, and my my worst is uh, you know, I heard they mentioned uh Cam Newton and Peyton, man, the first uh first pick in the draft. This is the first time this happened since those two guys in the Super Bowl. That brought up a bad memory for me with uh Sam Spence dying the day before the Super Bowl, man. Uh, uh, I think it was six years ago, man. Uh, 
February 6th. I remember that, man, because those are my guys. Madden's gone. Sam Spence is gone. John Facinda, uh, Dan, All right. and... Uh, All right. Well, thank you, Terry. Uh, let's see. Final results of the poll question, Todd. Who had the worst day Sunday? 44% Patrick Mahomes. Jaquatsky Tart, 22%. Browns fan, 16%. Jimmy G, 14%. Jared Goff, 3%. Lions fans, 1.5%. All right. This day in sports history, Paul. Let's see. In 1961, taxpayers approved in Houston a new football stadium. It became the Superdome. 1961. Mm. Uh, 1999, Fritzy, your Broncos won the Super Bowl. It was yeah. their second consecutive win. Yeah. And in 2003, the Chicago White Sox got a naming deal and changed the name of Comiskey Park to whatever they changed it for the first of the five stops after that. Mm. Still Comiskey Park to everybody in Chicago. Uh, the first ever all sports daily, the national began publishing in 1990. I remember that was a Frank DeFord, uh, venture, man. That was great though. That, that, that was like, wow, I can get all of this from all of these different places in the country. And I just remember I ate that up. Paulie wants to play the road trip. Seton's on the road with the French kid. I thought they were going to be in Cincinnati tonight. We're going to play a game every day this week. It's uh, the Sprinter Mercedes van road trip. Where is Seton sleeping game? Oh, okay. Boy, that kind of rolls off your tongue. Yeah. He is scheduled to be parked and sleeping in Cincinnati, Ohio. Now, it's a long road. Will Seton be sleeping in Cincinnati, Ohio, or the metro area? Columbus, Ohio, which is about an hour and a half closer? Yeah. Yeah. Other. So the choices are Cincinnati, Columbus, or other. I'm going to say other. I'm going to go Columbus. I think once you get to be an hour and a half away. Plow through? Yeah. What well, about Akron? Is that. That's no, not. That's not no, that's up further north. Um, he's got to go get the pie to the face. That'll be tomorrow morning in Cincinnati. I don't know what time, but I'm going to say other. Maybe maybe Cleveland. Yes, Todd. I'm going to go other, too. I'd be really interested in seeing if, he's, if it works out time-wise, where when he zooms in, we could actually see live the uh, pie to the face on Zoom at 1045 Eastern. That could be fun. Well, we can have him on at whatever time we want. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. It doesn't have to be it. 1045. What did you learn today, Todd? Seton and the French kid left this morning in the Mercedes Sprinter van. Next stop, Who Day Nation, Cincinnati. Uh, Paulie, what did you learn? Rick, Str- Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times does a nice Adam Schefter Does? Invitation. Very sneaky. Uh, Todd, what did I learn? Uh, when you graded my conference title game, Limerick Serviceable, a C plus. Ouch. I'm going to give you a C plus on that, but I'm going to give you a lower grade on oh. your, your ability to handle the poll question oh, no. today. What we learned brought to you by Callaway's Chrome Soft isn't just better for better players. It's better for everyone. Chrome Soft, Chrome Soft X, Chrome Soft XLS delivers the best tour performance. Every type of game. Find yours today at CallawayGolf.com slash Chrome Soft. Thanks for the support. Talk to you tomorrow. One more item as we close out the show. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation broke ground on its Do Good Village in Land Lakes, Florida. First of its kind, a community of 110 homes for the foundation's program recipients. So together, the families can heal. It's a special place where families know that their neighbors understand and care. A community where the children of our nation's fallen and catastrophically injured heroes can grow and experience life together. The Foundation's Do Good Village is going to help those families beyond measure. And it's all thanks to wonderful donations of many acres of land and your generosity. Help America's greatest heroes and their families heal together. Make the Do Good Village the first of many communities like it. 
With every mortgage-free home, the foundation makes good on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices of our heroes and what they did for our country and our communities. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's the letter T, the number two, the letter T.org. Thank you.